Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Nicholas Badminton, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you, Eric. How's it going? You know, it's, it's great. And just for the listeners at home, Nicholas and I have been pals for, for a couple of years now, both on the speaking circuit. Nicholas is a futurist. And before I tell you what that is, let, let's hear from him. Nicholas, tell us about what it is and what it means to be a futurist and, and what problems you're solving today. Yeah, so I, I help companies, um, every, everything from like trillion dollar companies down to startups, into government, into like investment funds, really get a handle on what the world's going to be like 5, 10, 20 years out by tracking a whole bunch of trends and, and understanding, you know, the signals of change that I see around us today. You know, those things happening in laboratories, the new technologies, the investments that are happening in, in complete completely new areas of the world and sort of extrapolating out how that's going to affect people. So what I do is I, I very much like you, I, I take to the stage and I give uh, keynotes to 2000 person conferences all the way down to like 30 person AGMs and, and, and smaller sort of board retreats. And, and really in those, in those sort of scenarios, I try and paint a broad brushstroke of how the world's going to be potentially and what people should be paying attention to. And then I do research. So I look at the human condition and the psychology behind belief systems as you know, social media and information accelerates as uh, new technologies come in to change culture. And then I also you do a lot of writing, podcast producing. I'm I'm writing a, a chapter on a book for Bloomsbury in the in the UK next year. So that's going to be really, really cool as well. So it's quite a broad church about what I do, but fundamentally I help people see the future so that they can do better things today in terms of building bigger visions, planning longer range initiatives, reducing your risk profile and other really valuable business activity. Let's take this from, from two lenses now. One, extremely generic. Yeah. Do you see the future being better than today or worse and let's go a short medium long term and, and keep it fairly high level we'll dive in after that you know it, it's complicated there's so many different dimensions we can look at from climate and 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 the change that's happening there uh, all the way through to geopolitics to new technologies to how the internet is evolving through to the space race and whatever but if I, i'm overwhelmingly optimistic whether I'm looking at 5, 10, 20 years, I have to believe in the goodness of humanity. I have to believe in the goodness of companies that are trying to improve life, trying to fix problems, whether it's trying to you know, cure cancer, make everyone live a little bit longer, or you know, improving education, improve, uh, reducing poverty, and whatever, right? So, so mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmingly optimistic. And I'm really what I want to do is, is work on projects with my clients that that really help them work out some of the opportunities and challenges, also some of the dangers and some of the external factors that are going to potentially affect their trajectory. Let's let's dive into sort of the jobs in the future of work. Then a lot of a lot of our uh, a lot of listeners of the show are, are focused on sort of that HR future of work space, yeah. or yeah. us as as people in the job market are always interested about the future of work. Let's let's talk AI for a sec. How does sure. how does AI impact the future of work? Are we going to see a net? gain? What does disruption look like in terms of, you know, I, I saw a, a quote from Jack Ma saying 800 million jobs disrupted by 2030, which I think, which I think is 
I think that's a scary number that doesn't necessarily mean a scary result. Disruption being the keyword, not lost. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your take is on the future of work, what trends you're seeing, and ultimately what we can do about it? Yeah, you know, there's the big discussion around artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, taking those algorithmic parts of our jobs and automating them. So mm-hmm. it is very simplest level. It could be, you know, you're taking data from a database, you're putting into a spreadsheet with a bunch of other data, you're producing new graphs and new tables, and then you're handing them up the chain to your manager. That might be your 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 job in terms of 60, 70% of your job today. You're You're not adding much strategic value. You're sort of doing that algorithmic grunt work. I see that machine learning will be able to learn exactly what we want when we want it. It'll be able to anticipate the sorts of data that we want. And people, even at that lower level, will be liberated from that drudge work and they'll be more strategic. So, you know, the idea of 800 million jobs disrupted, what does that mean? Tasks within jobs will disappear and and machine learning will take over. When you look at true disruption, I'm going to tell you to watch McDonald's for the next three to five years. Uh, Within Mm -hmm. five years, I think you will have the majority of McDonald's restaurants without a single human inside. And if there is a human Mm -hmm. inside, that's a person making sure that the computer systems, the the robotic process automation is, is running perfectly well. That kind of algorithmic manual labor as it is, is going to be heavily disrupted. And I think that there's going to be parts of the world that are going to be more largely hit than others. So I think in North America, there's a huge amount of, you know, sort of white collar work and office based work. There, there's a little bit of blue collar here as well. Manufacturing is increasing. And, and that's really interesting. But we're going to see automation coming into these jobs. But we're not going to see people necessarily losing their jobs in those contexts. But cut to China. Where you, where you have people, like thousands of people, literally living in a factory, building electronics for, for large companies. And yeah, they, they're all going to be automated out of the way. So I think that there's mm-hmm. going to be um, it, it, sort of a really strange sort of di- uh, distribution of the disruption globally. Now, what I do mm-hmm. think is that there's a huge opportunity for everyone in the world to be able to not have to do that drudge work and to do more strategic white collar work. Now, we have to realize that, you know, it's the governments, it's the businesses that need to work out how humans play a role. Because it's not technology that destroys jobs. It's the business models, policies, regulations, procedures that are put in place mm-hmm. that destroy jobs. I've chatted to a number of people that, that, that run factories in North America, and they have started to deploy robotics. But they, they deploy it in a way that's sensible, that, that gives humans the ability to level up their capabilities like an intelligence augmentation versus like a wholesale replacement of their skill base. And that seems to be that hybridized approach seems to be the way forward for, for most tasks. This is fascinating to me. Well, first of all, I'll just share a quote that I heard with you and, and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry I can't give it to who gave it to me, but, uh, but, but he said that the future of work is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. I thought that kind of basically ties into exactly with, with uh, what you were saying as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of a quote, you know. The the future is here. It's not evenly distributed. Is you know, a lot of people say, you know, it's William Gibson. It, uh, there's a lot uh-huh. of people that also say that he never actually said that. It's it's pithy. Right. It's interesting. <laughs> Regardless yep. of who said it, um, you know, the future is here. It's not evenly distributed. It it over trivializes what we're trying to do. 
it's mm, kind of mm. it's kind of almost a little bit dystopian you know it's like some people mm. over there are getting wealthy and some people over there are getting more poor that's always been the case in the world um right so that's a constant the future isn't here the future will be here and when it is it's not going to look like anything that even i can can predict but what we mm. can do is track today and, and that's what I help my clients do and speculate on what tomorrow can be like. And if we can speculate and anticipate, we can sort of shape that, that trajectory into the future that we all really want to be in. Right. So let, let's just take this back to North America, back to the average worker, if that's what I can say, if there is an average yeah. worker. Um, and right. then the question then for you is, what can we do to better prepare for tomorrow? Because what I'm hearing then, if some of these tasks will be lost, there's, there's an education factor that I think comes in too, because what yeah. happens to let the undereducated individual, the person that perhaps doesn't have a post-secondary education or perhaps didn't even finish high school, how, how do they prepare for the future? Or how do we prepare for the future, given that I'm sure what you have to say for them is directly applicable to the rest of us as well? I mean, this is one of the biggest questions I get asked is like, you know, I sit down with unions and, and truck drivers and people that have been driving trucks for 35 years. And it's like, I've been told that I'm going to lose my job. What can I do? And, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, if automated vehicles come in, the skill mm -hmm. and the wisdom that you've generated as part of your skilled labor, driving trucks long distance across the US and, and Canada is incredibly valuable to the companies that are, that are, that are training those networks. So I think that there's going to be a shift where these people with the skills are going to be able to move into more sort of oversight roles or design roles or design advisory roles for these companies. Unfortunately, we've got the Silicon Valley do everything with an 11 man team, disrupt the world, get a billion dollar valuation <laughs> and, and suddenly everyone walks away. I think that there's a lot of responsibility in large companies that are trying to change entire industries to work out you know, the value of the wisdom in the people in the workforce and how to weave that in because that's going to determine how good the product is. If we're doing things in isolation, then mm -hmm. I think we're going to really struggle. I, there, there was a documentary I watched recently, um, the Age of AI documentary with Robert Downey Jr. And I advised that series and we were looking for human stories. There was a woman who'd been driving trucks her entire life that was now working with a self-driving truck company to teach that truck how to drive a lot better. Um, self-driving mm -hmm. trucks, self-driving cars are actually pretty terrible at their jobs today, right? So we don't see millions of them around, but we're going to get there. This new yeah, world... Yeah, not yet. Not yet. But, but this new world is, you know, it, it tends to crawl forward and then suddenly it's completely different. If you, if you see about this upskilling, cross-skilling, you know what? Someone that lives in rural America or rural Canada isn't just going to suddenly go to university um, cross the country, move their entire family to a city that's, that's 10 times more expensive to live in to suddenly mm -hmm. ensure their place in the new world. They're going to have to think about what they do for a living and they're going to work out you know, how they can adapt. And this has kind of always been the way, but with, the, with these new exponential technologies, uh, certainly around communications, transportation and energy, you know, the, the building blocks of industrial revolutions, there's going to be a reckoning. There are going to be people really struggling to work out what that future is. 
Now, we know that there will be an evolution in our respective fields. So what we can do is ensure that we're teaching our kids in the right way to be creative, to be problem solvers, to be entrepreneurial, so that they don't, they're not stuck with the same problem. At the same time, we need to work out how we can upskill the people that are out there so that they're not suddenly you know, 50 years old without a job living in rural Manitoba, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, this is what I think is find, I find fascinating too, is just this idea of, of creativity, problem solving, persuasion, crit- critical thinking. Now we're getting into, I'll put in air quotes, like the human skills being yeah. the skills of the future. Call them soft skills, call them essential skills, call them whatever you want to call them. It's the ability yeah. for humans to be human. What would you say for companies who are trying to help their teams or their people develop these critical skills that perhaps haven't been able to be applied in the way that they'll need to be? in the years coming we've had a mantra of profit at all costs reduced our cost base increase our revenues do anything to get to that state of mind and you know we're going if if we're beholden to shareholders in a public company they've got a lot more difficult times ahead because they have to be more profitable on a quarter by quarter basis whereas in reality a lot of companies need to stop they -hmm. need to work out how they're going to train and how they're going to change their workforce and sometimes it's going to cost them a little bit more money than they're going to make and they're going to have to ride out the storm right so this Mm -hmm. this free market laissez-faire world that we live in has made it very difficult to just stop take a breather retrain the staff or or change change a trajectory in a way that's going to help them in the long run so um, that's where I sort of come in and that's why I've been working with companies to start to embed these processes in early so that they can actually see that a little bit further out so they can start to mm-hmm. weave in cultural changes. We know that we don't just suddenly inject a new culture into a company and, and everything's different. One example of, of that failing recently was Zappos and Tony Shea trying to implement a new non-hierarchical way of managing the company called Holacracy. After mm-hmm. about four, four and a half years, they realized it was fundamentally broken. It didn't work because it turned humans into algorithmic parts of a system. And even though mm. it sort of redu- reduced management, the lack of oversight was actually just really bad for their business. <laughs> so mm. it, it's, mm. it's one of those things that like, sometimes we can actually choose a future that's incredibly wrong for what we want. And I was a believer in like, oh yeah, this could be amazing and let's watch that. And it went horribly, horribly wrong because we still have to come back to who we are as humans and how we operate. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, community and culture within a company is, is that driving force and that lifeblood. If you do not have that being a vibrant part of your company, you've literally got robots turning up to work and doing nothing. And in that, in that respect, you might as well automate your entire business. And if you do that, you're literally punching out widgets and selling them in dollar stores, you know? So that's not the world we live in. We're going to enter this new age of human empowerment, employee empowerment, and that's going to have to have all elements of diversity and and cultural sort of growth. Um, We're going to have to teach them those essential skills, the soft skills. But the the businesses and the management are going to have to relax and let that sort of grow because it takes a while for that to become powerful. But once it is, you can see the change if you look at companies like Google and Amazon or whoever. In the early days, they were just building culture and spending money, right? They were right. also making a lot of money, but now they've got a culture. And I've worked with some of these companies, and the culture is incredibly well-tuned, and uh, they can mm-hmm. really go after things in whole new ways. 
Let's bring it back. I mean, in British Columbia alone, there are more than 250,000 small businesses, you know, yeah. companies that have less than, than 10 people where, you know, they're, they're I'm not going to say struggling. They're doing fine. They're, they're paying their payroll at the end of every month. They've got their product or their service that is doing well and they're building a, a great life for themselves and their employees. Yeah. How does automation play for them? You know, maybe they don't have that income or that revenue generation where they can spend yeah. on the stuff that these big giants can spend on. What, what about the small businesses? How, how do they best prepare for, for the future? Well, do, do you know what? I, I'm going to shift our focus from automation to platforms and, and really mm. think, thinking about, you know, if you're a small company, small business owner, 10, 10 or less employees, right? You're going to make payroll, you're going to sell things, whether it's services or, or things. Fundamentally, that's the majority of businesses, right? Mm. How are you using platforms to better use communications to grow your business outside of your local area? How are you getting online uh, to do uh, e-commerce? How are you really mm -hmm. empowering yourself? Because, you know, the, the sky is the limit if you can really start to get on top of understanding how, you know, you can, you can add e-commerce to your small store that's making, you know, some some kind of apparel and it's easy people like shopify have, have made that happen we've got entire freelance economy platforms like freelancer.com we've got upwork and 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 these kinds of places that we can lean on to get the talent we need super cheaply right so mm -hmm. i think that there's an education that that we need to do as a country right and as business leadership is that you know what if, if you're small and you're stifled and you, and you think times are hard what about building our business online and what about taking that further? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's the future that already exists today. So these small mm -hmm. businesses, you know, are only really restricted by, you know, bandwidth and, and the use of their, their process within technological platforms, right? You can literally right. have businesses that operate on their own and, and, and grow to a huge level. I remember a story about Marcus Friend, the guy that started uh, Plenty of Fish. I saw him interviewed a few years ago, and he said that he only employed a second employee when he hit $10 million in revenue. Whoa. And he, and he, he was coding the platform himself, living mm -hmm. in Vancouver, and you know what? That's the ultimate small business. It's the, sol the solopreneur, the, 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 the person mm -hmm. on their own. And do you know how he managed to make it work? Technology, just platform, yeah. just determination yeah. to, to spend some time and stop and say, how can I do this better without having to like, grow my business in terms of people? Nicholas, one of the things I like best that I've seen out of your camp lately, so to speak, is this idea of going from what is to what if. And yes. you, you, you've got this really fascinating way of looking far into the future. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping as we close off that you can share a little bit of that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So last year I, I, I presented to about 500 people. It was in Alberta and I spoke about water resiliency, climate change, the future of agriculture, cellular meat, a whole bunch of disruption. And, and sometimes that, that can jar people. And the way that I was delivering it was very much like, here's the new world. Here's how it's going to change. You need to get ready. And, and people were really affronted by that approach. And uh, anyway, some, a really excited Q&A and chat to a bunch of people online, followed through with emails. And as I was doing that uh, over the period of, of a month or so, I realized that I had to go back and I had to, you know, 
be less sort of excited and, and preachy about what an absolute future could be and invite people in to, to think about what if the world is different? What if your job was different? What if you deploy different technologies? What if we look at new ways of geopolitics and whatever? So mm. my new platform from what is to what if is this idea that, that you can give an invitation to people to consider like a plausible and probable future and even consider a, pro a preposterous future that could be like 200 years down the line. The right. things that we never think could happen and then bring it back today, backcast and think about what, what it would take to get there. And it really opens up our ideas of what a vision is for our business and what longer range initiatives we can start to do the groundwork on it here today. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I think you're referring to a video I just, I just posted online. Um, at the same, I, I was at a conference just a month later after that previous one, which was an agriculture conference. Then a month later in Iowa in January, 900 land investors, farmers. Mm -hmm. and, and I read a story and I read the story was uh, in 2220, you know, a new agricultural frontier. And everyone's like 2220, that's 200 years into the future. But we're about 200, 260 years into the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. it's, create, it's created our, you know, approximately $100 trillion global economy. So why don't we look out 200 years into the future and realize that the energy wars might be over and oil means nothing in the world? What about war disappearing altogether? What about platforms and communications and, and, and global renewable energy grids that are almost free to, to deliver energy to people suddenly democratizes this new world. And, and people were like, just kind of blown away and taken aback. And it's like, but what if we do imagine that incredible future? We can start mm -hmm. to think about the initiatives that we can have aspiration for today. And I think that that's the most powerful part of my platform and, and how I work with companies today. It was just a reframing instead of saying, this is it, this is your future, get ready to like imagine. And, and come mm. with me and, and write stories and write your own story. Get your bigger vision. And the companies that I've worked with over the past six weeks alone have just been liberated from their thoughts about, oh, God, I've got budgets today. I've got managers that have got deadlines. I've got products I have to design and whatever. To be like, I've now got a mindset about you know, unlimited mm -hmm. possibilities, but practical application of an idea of a future today. Imagine from what is to what if. I think that we, we're in an incredibly exciting time. Over the past sort of eight years, as I've grown out my practice of, of, of futurism, futurology, you know, foresight, I'm seeing more and more companies step up and saying, hey, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need help. Um, and we know that if we're just planning for the next year to 18 months, we're going to miss a trick. There's going to be new businesses that come in and steal our market share and, and change our world. Small businesses, medium businesses, incredibly large businesses as well. More and more people are starting to think about the future. I invite all the listeners to your podcast to start thinking a little bigger and a little further. And you know what? Um, when you hear you know, some crazy ideas out in the real world, maybe it's Elon Musk or Bill Gates or maybe it's uh, people in politics, you know, just stop and, and think, what if? What if that world is going to be real and how that's going to affect me? And I think you're going to start to see a change in how you approach the world. Nicholas, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Always a pleasure. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit ericturmundi.com.
That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E dot com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.